Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com and the Boyd Group International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. His voice is somewhat raspy, but as long as he keeps drinking water, he should be fine. No, that's what a text message that he sent to me before is. It says, my voice is somewhat raspy, but as long as I keep drinking water, I should be fine. I think we're going to find out what he was talking about here. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, I once heard a comedian say that NPR is where thousands work so hundreds can listen. And... (laughs) That number is now at least 105, thanks to my co-host, NPR's here and now transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. Ben, you are too kind. And you know, that, that, that's the, I've heard that before too. It's a joke. But do you know millions of people listen to NPR? It's actually, when I'm on the radio, that's where I get the most calls from people who hear you know like i'll go on cnbc or you know these other you know great places that i that i enjoy doing and and you know it, it'll be a a good demographic you know lots of smart people but it's not that many people npr is lots and lots of people oh it's I, true. I push it. just a joke, but it's a funny joke nonetheless <laughs> definitely well pushing back from the you can tell i'm like sensitive about that right love npr <laughs> pushing back from the gate this is airlines confidential the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline news of uh, the airline world rather each week today uh some breaking news or is it? How surprised should we be about an airline initial public offering that will not be happening these days? And how surprised should we be about some disappointing airline earnings and passenger traffic figures? I mean, we knew things wouldn't be good, but is this better or worse than expected? First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you know, clearly, and you say you, you feel fine. I'm sure uh, Marsha probably took your temperature, just like any any good checkpoint these days. And and, and uh, you said it's just your voice. You've just been talking too much, but 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 we really appreciate you you doing this. And we'll keep this short as short as we can today. Uh, but uh, yeah, some 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 news here. Uh, Frontier Airlines uh, apparently is abandoning its plans for doing an IPO, an initial public offering, right? And and that might not sound like huge news. I mean, how in the world could an airline do an IPO at this point? But this goes back like uh, two and a half years at this point. It was back in March of 2017, the Denver Post reporting this, uh, that the carrier first said it was going to raise, it hoped, $700 million back then. And according to the Post, last Friday, uh, Frontier quietly filed uh, – with, with the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission saying it's withdrawing that registration, making it official that it's not going to file for an IPO. Uh, ben, uh, look, I mean, the environment uh, is about as bad as any we've ever seen right now. How, how surprised should we be? And I guess another question is, would this have happened anyway? Because, look, Frontier had all that time and and up until, what, January into February, things 
conditions were decent for the airline industry, and yet Frontier's earnings were sort of lagging the industry. It was profitable, but not wildly so compared to most airlines. Well, I think that's right. And it's. I think it would have been more surprising had they moved ahead with the IPO, to be honest. Now, yeah. the, the Denver News is reporting that they're saying it's because of a fair war with United. The I Denver think Post. The Denver yeah, Post. I'm right, yeah. I actually think that's crazy. It's not because of a fair war with United. There's always going to be fair wars in the industry. Frontier has very low cost. They know how to deal with that. I think the reason has to be that the valuation to the primary shareholders of Frontier isn't what they want it to be. I mean, the reality is, is what investors are going to be excited about buying the stock in an airline right now when you don't even know what airline demand is going to be six and 12 months from now, right? And so the the uncertainty about airline earnings, about airline demand, about even what airline capacity is going to be puts what any airline is worth right now into a huge question mark. And that's the reason the IPO is not happening right now. Frontier Airlines is owned by Indigo Partners, the same fund that backed the transformation of Spirit Airlines. You're very familiar with that. Uh, it says the Indigo is your boss at, at one point. Bill Frankie, who, who, the famous airline investor who who, who runs Indigo Partners. Uh, so, so would you say, just sort of at a high level, uh, when you look at the success of Spirit uh, or the success really of Indigo Partners of pulling off the IPO at Spirit? Uh, versus the lack of success so far at Frontier in actually pulling off the IPO. Uh, Is that more industry circumstances or more things specific to those two airlines at at, at the respective times that the IPO happened at Spirit and did not happen at Frontier? I think think there are some specifics. I think this issue is – industry issues overall. You know, one of the things Indigo Partners has been great at, and they've been very successful because they have bought at very smart times and gotten really good prices when they buy. And they have sold at very good times and gotten good prices when they've sold. And, you know, basics of uh, investing is buy low, sell high, right? Yeah. And they've been very, very good at that. There are a couple earlier missteps in a Frontier IPO that I think could have been related to maybe things going out of Frontier. Or since Frontier, Frontier's closest comparative airline in the U.S. is Spirit in terms of the sort of ultra-low-cost carrier kind of model and the highly unbundled fare structure and things like that. They're not exactly the same. Frontier connects more passengers with its Denver hub and such. But still, investors are going to say, well, what this company is going to be worth, I'm going to compare maybe to what Spirit is worth. And Spirit's earnings have trailed the industry, and Spirit's valuations have been lower than they have been historically the last couple of years. So my thinking is what has what has held back the Frontier IPO is, again, a valuation issue, that they're not getting a high enough valuation from the banks who are supporting them, either because they were being compared to Spirit, whose valuation wasn't very high, or now, right now, because nobody's really comfortable investing in an airline with all the uncertainty and demand that we just talked about. And I really will move on from this soon so we could save your voice. But one more question. When you say comparable to Spirit, uh, the other airline that comes to mind in the U.S. is Allegiant, also an ultra-low-cost carrier, also with the fully unbundled uh, product and all of that, right? I mean, if you go to buy 
a flight on Allegiant. It's going to be a similar experience, right? Just sort of that very low base fare and then paying extra for everything else as either Frontier or Spirit is the difference and is the reason you're comparing Frontier to Spirit among the publicly traded airlines. It's going to be Spirit or Allegiant. Is the difference more the network model and the utilization? Allegiant sort of has those, you know, mostly smaller cities that in some cases it has mostly to itself to the big leisure destinations, not a high utilization model. Sometimes it flies its planes five or six hours a day on average uh, compared to Spirit, much higher, Frontier also much higher. Is that is that the reason you would compare Frontier more to Spirit than to Allegiant? Yeah, I think that's right. The two airlines, Frontier and Spirit, I mean, fly the same airplanes, the Airbus A320 family. Um, they both largely fly from big cities to big cities, and they tend to fly in a very high utilization model. Right, and they tend to buy new airplanes. They both have uh, younger fleets, and they have lots of new airplanes on order. Allegiant, on the other hand, while they're buying some new airplanes, their their capital costs, their airplane costs are generally much lower. They're a much lower utilization model. Yes, from a marketing standpoint and a pricing standpoint, all three airlines, Spirit, Frontier, and Allegiant, are similar with an unbundled pricing model. But from a network standpoint, Frontier and Spirit are much more comparable than either airline to Allegiant. That said, Frontier and Spirit are perfectly comparable. Again, Frontier runs a true connecting hub at Denver. And Spirit doesn't run a true connecting hub anywhere. Yeah, it, it, it has a lot of natural connections at, at Fort Lauderdale, but it doesn't schedule for them. Frontier doesn't schedule for, for connections quite like it once did. But clearly, yeah, a, a lot of connecting traffic at, at Denver. I've connected through there on Frontier, and I'm just thinking I don't think I've ever in my life connected on Spirit, even though I've flown spirit a number of times and and you can connect on spirit and yeah just thinking that's right i've I've never connected on spirit so anecdotally at least uh there you go and uh frontier just a couple other notes uh before we move on look it has tried to diversify away from Denver, and I think that's been one of its issues. Uh, very reliant on Denver, sort of recognizes that it is kind of a one-trick pony, and that when things get tough at Denver, it, it, it's not as well diversified as it might like to be. And yet when it tries to move away from Denver, sort of, to put it charitably, mixed success in doing that. So Denver kind of can't live with it, can't live without it. If you're if you're frontier and find finally frontier and spirit often this subject of merger speculation again just at a high level when people say what airlines might be compatible with each other not to say it will happen but for all the reasons Ben described about the comparability between the two uh, people often wonder if those two perhaps could end up together and that is another exit strategy potentially for Indigo Partners it could pull off the IPO or it could end up someday in in uh, some kind of a transaction with Spirit. Uh, airline earnings, Ben, uh, won't bore everybody with all the numbers, but uh, several airlines uh, during the past week have re- reported since our last show, you know, American, uh, uh, Alaska, JetBlue, uh, Hawaiian, Allegiant reports today as you're listening, uh, Wednesday. Uh, I'll just summarize it like this. If you like red... The color red, it's it's a pretty color sometimes. But when it comes <laughs> but when it comes to ink, investors don't like red. They like black. They like black ink. And lots and lots of red. 
operating margins like I've never seen before, Ben. The, the, this from Airline Weekly. Uh, you know, like usually, usually an operating margin, an airline hopes to be in the black, of course, and it might have a single digit operating margin, right? It might run a five percent or an eight percent operating margin, or it's very successful, a double digit operating margin. 12%, 15%, 18%, those kinds of numbers, right? And a bad result is in the red, maybe in the single digits, maybe a really bad quarter, a negative double digit operating margin. I have never before seen negative triple digit operating margins just across almost every airline, but that's that's what's happening. Negative 200%, negative 300%. So, you know, I look at that and then I look at the other numbers that we check all the time. TSA throughput numbers. Those are, so in the US, just kind of the most real time data that you can publicly observe. Obviously, airlines know what's going on inside, but in terms of just something that you can look at all the time, they're there. And now we can really see them kind of leveling off. A week or two ago, we could say, well, it was down slightly because, you know, we had the July 4th holiday. Now it's not a holiday and all that sort of thing. But now it's kind of been a while of, Like a good day is 700,000 passengers going through TSA checkpoints, and it doesn't get much better than that. And we were already hitting those numbers, you know, early July. So that's a change from a trend back a month ago where every week was clearly better than the previous week. And of course, we hear from airlines that bookings are soft. So Ben, all that said, just a big picture thought about how things are looking now compared to how they looked as recently even as a week ago. Any new trends or does all this just sort of confirm what we already knew basically that the that the recovery had, had kind of stalled. Yeah, and every airline earnings release over the last week or two has basically said that same thing, that they've seen a slowing in bookings. The fact that New York State, for example, has has expanded their quarantine from 13 or 14 states to now 31 states means that travel from most of the country to New York is non-existent. And I think just the fact that you... You know, all the news is around things closing down more than opening up. And that has the effect in airline demand. So every airline that has reported earnings recently has talked about a slowdown in demand. And that's what we're seeing happening. And that's really unfortunate because the industry was on a very shallow but still quite positive trend. Yeah. Uh, here's the, the latest one that I'm seeing here again. This from our, our friends at Airline Weekly. Uh, Iceland Air. Uh, Iceland is a country that seems to have managed the crisis reasonably well uh, for their second quarter, a negative 173% operating margin. So it's not just uh, US airlines. Uh, they're all negative 100 something percent, negative 200, in some cases, negative 300%. I have been covering this industry a long, long time and have never seen numbers anything like this. That includes certainly the global financial crisis, uh, certainly the post 9-11 period where airlines outside the U.S. bounced back reasonably quickly and even U.S. airlines got their hands around things. I mean, it was bad. Uh, yeah, and airlines lost a lot of money when fuel went to ridiculous levels in 2008, but yeah. that wasn't a demand problem. That was a cost problem. Exactly. And that just always takes time to sort of catch up in terms of making the capacity moves and getting the fares that they need. But right, people were traveling. This is 
this is just a whole different thing. And you know, Seth, if you can't socially distance in Iceland, you just can't socially distance. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. That's when you know. (laughs) Well, Ben, time for passengers behaving badly. Notice I did not say spirit passengers. Yeah, we found some bad behavior this week on a different airline. Well, thanks, Seth. But first, we want to thank Seabury Capital for supporting the show. Seabury Capital Group, a specialty finance and investing banking firm, boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. Time now for Passengers Behaving Badly. A conservative author named David J. Harris refused to wear his mask on an American Airlines flight Saturday, saying he has a medical condition but refusing to explain the condition because he said requiring him to do so would violate his HIPAA rights. HIPAA is the law in America that governs medical privacy. All this, by the way, according to Fox News, which, if anything, you'd expect to give the benefit of the doubt to someone like this, a conservative author, mask skeptic. Uh, So apparently the crew didn't even know what to do. They hadn't heard exactly that explanation before, uh, according to this report. A pilot made an announcement that other passengers could get off and rebook their flights if they didn't feel safe. Harris wrote, quote, They cannot violate your HIPAA rights as an American and ask you anything about your medical issues. So for all the people on the plane that may want to get off because they don't feel safe, get the heck off. I'm staying right here. Uh, Now, Fox News quoted a lawyer who's knowledgeable about these laws as saying there's actually no such thing as an airline violating your HIPAA rights. The law is specific to people in the medical field. In other words, Ben, you know, if, if a doctor just at a cocktail party talked about the medical condition of, of one of his or her patients or, or, or a nurse or somebody with that kind of knowledge. Uh, but we have airlines, yeah, asking people now. Delta, I know, was the first to begin requiring sort of these, these quick telemedicine visits where if you say you can't wear a mask, they ask you to speak with a medical professional and let that person make the determination. So in this case, it seems like yeah, just a passenger behaving badly. Doesn't I think this is a passenger trying to get away with it, actually, and understood that HIPAA exists, understands that, you know, talking about medical conditions is of somebody else is not what you should do. But an individual can certainly talk about their own medical condition. HIPAA is not talking to somebody else about somebody else's medical condition, right? I can't say, hey, I know Seth went to the doctor and learned this, right? I can't. That that would be against HIPAA. But for me to say, I went to the doctor and found out I have this issue, I can tell people that. That's my information. HIPAA is sharing information that's not yours about somebody else's medical condition. So this guy was using that term, thinking he would intimidate the flight crew into that issue. And that's really, really, really bad behavior. This guy should have just put on his mask and sat down. Exactly. When you think about all the other things that pilots and flight attendants have to worry about uh, to put them through that, just really unacceptable. Uh, The vast majority of Americans, uh, according to recent polls, support 
mandatory mask wearing, e- even in other public spaces where there's more distance than you're going to get uh, on on an airplane. Yeah, I think we talked in a previous show, people have made the analogy to seatbelt laws, which people once opposed, and now most people accept the, the importance of wearing a seatbelt. And, and I think it's really more than that. I think it's more like uh, rules against smoking on an airplane or against bringing a gun onto an airplane for that matter, right? I mean, it's all about the safety of other people. If you don't want to wear a seatbelt or if you don't want to wear a helmet on a motorcycle or something, at least that's mostly about your own safety. Uh, you know, in this case, there's this deadly virus and uh, you're wearing a mask. Yeah, to protect yourself because it does protect you, uh, but also for the protection of everybody else. Well, up next, uh, seems like I wasn't the only one curious about what goes on in the airline boardroom. We have a listener question about that, plus finer wine and more of Ben's son, Enzo, playing the violin in the background there. I hear Enzo, Ben. <laughs> He's so good. He's you must far, be so proud. He's far away, but I have a sensitive mic, I think. <laughs> and we're all working from home. Airlines Confidential will be right back. Well, the International Aviation Forecast Summit is happening, and it's going to be one of the only events in the industry. Ben and I are going to be there doing this podcast there that week. The conference is the 23rd through the 25th of August. And I, I'm telling you, Ben, I have never been as excited before about going to a conference because it's so rare this year. This is, uh, this is going to be one of the only ones. And the promo code is AC1550, AC1550. You jump on the, the website, you can go on our website, airlinesconfidential.com. You'll see a banner there for the IAFS, for the International Aviation Forecast Summit. Click through Uh, Use the promo code. Also a reminder that they're doing a hybrid conference. So for anybody who can't be there in person, doesn't want to be there in person, for whatever reason, uh, you can book online. There are all kinds of pricing options on there, including if you want, you know, a whole bunch of people at at, uh, one company to be able to do it. Uh, efficiently without traveling there. That's going to be there too. I, like you, am excited about this, Seth. And I think it's going to be great. I think they will be, everyone will be very safe. I'm sure people will be wearing their own PPE. The hotel will be really good in dealing with that. And it'll be wonderful to to do a podcast live there and have some real live listener questions. The International Aviation Forecast Summit. With Ben Baldanza and his son Enzo playing violin in the background, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Ben, during the break, you now I'm not violating your HIPAA uh, uh, rights by asking this because I'm not a doctor. I'm not revealing anything. Uh, but I'm gonna. But you told me you took your temperature just to make sure. That's right, and I was a healthy 97.6. 97.6 Fahrenheit. That's ostensibly a degree below normal. For y'all, <laughs> different normal. I'm always on the. I'm always 97 something. Also, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's time for a listener question with raspy but healthy, otherwise healthy Ben. Uh, Justin in Las Vegas writes, I've always wondered what happens in the boardroom and how much they are brought in on direction of the company. For example, Ben said they would not be involved in JetBlue leaving Long Beach. What kind of decisions are they involved in? Labor contracts, how much they increase the package costs, or overall, how what do they decide on labor contracts? Aircraft orders, what kind, how many, overall airline model, ultra low cost carrier, low cost, target customers, any other things you care to add? Ben, I have to say, 
people seemed to be as fascinated as I was. I asked you the question just kind of offhandedly. And for those who didn't hear that show, JetBlue is leaving Long Beach, California, consolidating its Southern California operations uh, at the main airport, LAX, Los Angeles. And uh, I asked Ben, just because he's a board member of JetBlue, those kinds of decisions that are big decisions, but you know, not like do you merge with another airline or buy another airline? You know, do, do those rise to the level of the board getting involved in the decision? Ben said that's the kind of thing you would advise the board of as, as an airline, but not necessarily, you know, ask them to to, to vote on it. And I, I got comments from other friends who heard that and said that they found that fascinating because not many people know people who are on the boards of airlines or, or the boards of companies. And Ben, you're on the board of, as we said, JetBlue, you're also on the board of other companies and in other industries. And so I, just kind of interesting. I, I didn't realize that other people found that as interesting as I did. But so um, back to Justin's question. Yeah. Can, can you help him understand what what kinds of other things when it comes to labor contracts? Is, is the board taking a vote? Is the board kept a prize, aircraft orders. I have to imagine when it comes to a big, you know, hey, we're going to go and buy billions of dollars worth of airplanes. Have to imagine there's some board involvement, the airline model, target customers. Well, how, how does how does that work in terms of the level of board's involvement? Well, you know, boards at public companies, meaning companies who sell their stock in the public markets, those boards have a very specific reason uh, to be there. And those reasons are in many ways defined by the Securities and Exchange Commission, right, in terms of the roles and things. But basically, the role of the board is to do a couple things, determine the organization's overall mission and purpose, make sure the CEO is the right CEO for the company, uh, support the executive and the team in their performance, make sure the organization's running well, make sure the organization has the resources that it needs, is managing those resources efficiently, and lots of other things. So the level of detail that a board would get into is gonna be different by every board. But from my experience, being the CEO that reported to a board at Spirit and now serving on airline boards, is that boards get involved in decisions that accountants would call material impact, meaning they're, they're big enough that they can affect the finances of the company, the company's financial ratios, the way the company might be perceived by investors, the way uh, the company might be perceived by potential lenders or things like that. So certainly something like a big labor contract would probably be reviewed by the board before approved or a major fleet deal or something like that. But a specific scheduling issue around a city to add or take away or the level of frequencies to fly between city X and Y, that stuff would never come to the board for deliberation. It might show up in a report of here's what happened in the schedule yeah. in the last yeah. quarter, but it wouldn't show up for the board to sort of opine on. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, probably what Justin and what I was wondering is sort of where where the line is, right? Like I knew that you know the board's not going to vote on whether to run a an Ember Air 145 or 175 between two cities or, or that sort of thing. But I think the <laughs> and I know that if you're going to go merge with another airline, that that does require board action. And I think sort of the question was where in the middle is the line between something the board just would would never even want to think about because it's too granular, something the board should know about, and then, you know, something where the board's actually taking action. And and I, and I think you've really helped us understand, and, and, and that's something, again, not just in the airline industry, but other industries too. We can imagine based on what you said, what the board 
at some other kind of company would, would probably get involved in. Well, well, and I think, Seth, what's important is it's not that there's any level of detail that's too fine. It's just that the role of the board is different than the role of management. The role of management as a company is to make all the decisions about the operations of the company. And that's not the role right. of the board. The role of the board is to make sure that the management are the right people and that they're prioritized effectively and things like that. So it's not that you know, the board wouldn't be interested in all kinds of detail or wouldn't be um, even potentially influential in some of that. It's just that's not their role. I mean, you don't ask the pitcher in baseball to make decisions about the Maybe that's a bad analogy. It's just that everybody, you know, the board and management have two different roles in the company. And hopefully in really well operating companies, the management does a great job and the board supports that management in really good ways. Hey, Ben, early this morning, I was glad to see in South Korea, there, there were a few fans allowed back in the stands at baseball parks. You mentioned baseball. Just telling you, in the U.S., they're struggling just to have games without players who have uh, the virus. And in South Korea, they did a good enough job with things that they uh, have begun allowing some fans back in. And go LG Twins. That's that's my Korean baseball team, uh, by the way, because it's the one game. When we were there a couple of years ago, randomly, we went to one game. And, uh, you know, the, the team that happened to be in Seoul, uh, there, there are multiple teams in the Seoul area. Uh, the team that was playing a home game that night. And so, uh, so, so we have stuck with the LG twins more relevant than ever because that's the, you know, one of the rare countries that's, that's playing a, uh, something resembling a, a, a full baseball season. Well, do you like Justin have a question for us about airlines, about Korean baseball, anything you can call three zero five three seven nine seven four two nine and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Well, Fine or Wine is next, but first, Ben, time to thank Clear for supporting the show. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. Beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, I have the complaint here, too. Usually you read it. Do you want me to read this one for you? It's up to you. Uh, I, I don't mind reading it if people don't mind listening. I, I don't to mind it. at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So Edith of Covington, Georgia is complaining about American Airlines. Edith writes, I booked two tickets with American Airlines on May 6th from Atlanta to Miami for $126 per ticket. That sounds like a pretty good yeah. price, actually. When I checked the same flight again on June 3rd at 9.30 p.m., it was $51 per ticket. So I called customer service a couple minutes after, but the automated message says there was a long hold time, and it gave me the option to get a callback instead of staying on hold. I chose the callback and didn't get a callback until 11.04 p.m. that night, and by that time, the flight had doubled in price, but I wanted to have NAPS the representative if I could get a credit by canceling my existing flight and then book it at the $51 per ticket price. 
I specifically asked him, next time it goes down, I just booked this cheaper flight and then I call it to get a credit for the other flight. And he said, yes, you got it. Okay. Not sure I – am I missing something here? This is a complaint, ostensibly. So – but is this fine or is this a whine? I actually think this is a – I think this is a whine in the following sense. Anyone who flies knows that prices change yeah. a lot. And in fact, when you buy a flight further out, you're not buying the same product as if you buy a flight closer in to, to departure time, I mean, because what you're doing is you're securing that seat for you. And that airline is taken out of the airline's inventory and not sold to anyone else in that time. And that's a value to you, making sure you have that access. It's possible that later the price is going to be higher and the airline doesn't call you and say, we have to sell you it for more. You have to pay us more (laughs) money now. Right. And so I think what Americans said is that you book the cheaper flight and call it to get a credit that they can do that. I think the American did a good thing by telling them that. But people should know that that's not normally the case, right? That is the case now because we're in this COVID world where anyone can cancel a trip and get a refund because of the fact that airlines know that somebody might just get nervous about flying. So in order to be as customer friendly as possible, saying, go ahead and book. And if you decide you can't take the trip, we'll refund it. Once the virus ends, whenever that is, or once things are sort of back to normal, what's going to happen is you'll buy that higher price ticket. And then if you want to change it, you'll likely have to pay a change fee with the airline in order to go ahead and change it to that lower price. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what airlines do with this sort of this this new ethic of, you know, really people understanding you shouldn't fly sick, right? And there's no question that there has been this incentive. And I, I don't know what you do about it because non-refundable tickets are are a big part of the airline business model. And they're a big part of tickets being relatively cheap, right? If there weren't non-refundable tickets, then tickets would just be more expensive because airlines would have to account for what you described. Uh, people just canceling flights all the time and, and uh, you know, basically fewer people on board, which would mean they would have to get more money from each passenger. So I don't know what you do about it, but it'll be interesting to see here if airlines can figure out a way to not incentivize people to fly sick, but without sort of killing the goose that laid the golden egg, so to speak, without you know getting rid of, a, of, of something that generally non-refundable tickets, even though people like them when, 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 when you're stuck, you know, and, and you wish you, you didn't have the ticket, something that has generally worked uh, rather well for consumers. I think that's right, Seth. And, you know, this is a good time to talk about sort of one of the economic facts of the airline industry, which is the fact that they have a product that spoils when the plane takes off, any seats not sold can never be sold at that point. So that creates different realities for the pricing structure than, say, a retail store. Whereas if I walk into a retail store, a clothing store, and I look at a shirt on the rack and I decide not to buy it, that shirt is still there the next day for somebody to buy. And that store can still make money on that shirt, even though I chose not to buy it. 
Whereas the airlines at some point lose all the ability to sell the seat because the plane leaves, the product spoils. And that's why you see some so many crazy pricing things with the airlines and why they'll sell you cheaper fares further out because they're trying to fill the plane. They'll try to sell it for higher prices as they get closer because they figured if you're buying that close to departure, you probably have to go. So you might be willing to pay a little more. And in this COVID world, where they just want anybody to buy for any reason, and then they put the refundability on everything, it does change people's perceptions. And I totally agree with you, whether this is going to be a longer term trend or how airlines are going to deal with refunds and refundability in a post-COVID world when people have been used to a lot of flexibility is going to be a very interesting trend to see how the industry deals with It is. And when we all want people to not fly sick, even in other times, right? I think we're all becoming just like you know, we're all kind of becoming more permanently germaphobic, right? Like thinking about things we didn't used to think about. And, and I think that idea too, that even when there's not COVID, uh, you know, you, you, you know, I don't want to sit next to somebody who has a cold or, or anything. And uh, it, it is going to be interesting and tough. It, it's just going to be one of the tougher long-term things that this industry uh, is is going to have to deal with. Well, on final approach, now that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. That's Enzo in the background playing the violin. <laughs> and I'm Ben Baldanza. My voice will be clear next week. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ben. <laughs> the Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.